right, y'all. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Either And Podcast. I am your host, Brill Barrett. And today, we're going to dig into a lot of different topics. And uh, I'm going to break down why. Why the Either And Podcast? Why the title? A lot of people are like, why Either And? So we're going to get into that. And then I just want to introduce myself to you, let you know who I am, what I'm about, where I'm from, and why this whole thing makes sense to me. So for starters, let's talk about, yeah, I'm going to talk about myself. Again, my name is Brill Barrett, born and raised on the west side of Chicago, and I am a tap dancer. Tap dancing is what I love to do. Tap dancing is my life. When I was young, I wanted to be a tap dancer. As I got older, I became a tap teacher, but tap teaching was not even my goal. And then the more I taught, the more I fell in love with teaching till I realized that being a tap dancer also a big part of it for me encompassed teaching and passing and spreading the art form to the next generation. In 2001, after years of teaching, uh, years of touring and traveling, as a matter of fact, every time I would go on tour, I would come back home and there would be, it was like starting over again. I didn't have a, a home base, a foundation. And so I wanted to build that. So in 2001, I started Mad Rhythms and that was the home base, the foundation for tap dance in Chicago and especially serving underserved and undersourced communities filled with black and brown people that look just like me, that had the same circumstances as me. When I was coming up, tap was not a popular thing in my neighborhood. Nobody I knew did it. So I was fortunate enough to have mentors and people bring me along the way. And so I wanted Mad Rhythms to turn around and be that for the next generation. So for many years, I trained up a group of young people who are now some of the top professionals in the country through Mad Rhythms. As the original Mad Rhythms turned into a full professional performing company, we started the Tap Academy so that we could really have an aspect that really focused on teaching and training the next generation. And that was the Mad Rhythms Tap Academy. Then after a while, um, and I will have to tell you, we, we started out at the Chicago Park District and we were on the South Side at the South Shore Cultural Center. And the director at that time, Ife McWhorter, she was wonderful because she saw in me something that she could help to push. And again, another mentor of mine. And she said, well, what do you want to do? I want to start a company. Cool. Here's the space. This is what you're going to do. What do you want to do next? Well, people see the company dancing. Now they want to learn. So we started the Mad Rhythms Tap Academy. And the next thing she said was, well, what do you want to do after that? I said, well, I think we want to expose the rest of the world to what we're building here in Chicago. And that's where the Chicago Tap Summit came in. So all of those entities were originally just an idea about different ways to spread the love and joy of tap dance. And real quick, I want to read you the mission statement of Mad Rhythms, just so you understand what it all means. Our mission is to preserve and promote tap dance as a percussive art form, foster respect and admiration for the history and culture of tap, and continuously create opportunities for the art form and its practitioners. And like, you know, think about that. A lot of times things die when they're not passed on. So even in our mission statement, we talk about spreading and making sure that we share and teach the next generation. And that is a big part of my literally my existence. I used to think that my God given gift was tap dance. And now I realize that's just a tool. That's a God given tool. But I think my gift is to work with the community and to pass on and keep the tradition and use tap dance as a means to make a difference in my community. There's lots of ways we can make differences in our communities or wherever we're from, but I think tap dance, for me, it's how I speak, it's how I connect, it's 
it's it's my language. It's my love language. Again, we're located in Chicago. And when the pandemic hit, you know, like everybody, I was in the house terrified. All of a sudden, everything that I wanted to do, everything that I was doing came to a screeching halt. So once I got over the initial shock of having my income snatched away, like in the blink, then I started forming ideas of what to do, how to turn this, how to adapt, how to improvise, if you will, and create the next aspects of Mad Rhythms. And out of that, the idea for this podcast was born. Because, of course, 2020, 2021, we watched a lot of YouTube videos, listened to a lot of podcasts, books on, you know, whatever. In every way, we were getting information in a new way. And several tap dancers created podcasts. And one of the things I kept thinking about was I love talking tap. I love talking culture. I love talking history. But I also love talking community. And sometimes that's tap related. And sometimes, or as a matter of fact, a lot of times, it's not. The whole thing is just about connecting and building and making sure that the next generation has somewhat of a a roadmap or a guideline to lead them, you know, hopefully past and beyond where me and my generation have gone. So with that being said, let's let's move into one of the things I like to talk about. And the reason this whole either and podcast, like the title, what's behind it is because a lot of times when you're in debates with people. The decisions kind of, you know, it's either I'm for this or I'm for that, or it's either this or it's that. And I always say, you know, sometimes the the way to solve problems, it's not always the either or. A lot of times it's the either and. Like, perfect example, when people talk about um, police violence and somebody's answer is, well, black people are killing black people. And I'm like, okay. Why is why are those two opposite sides of an equation that's about people staying alive? So we want to stop the killing altogether. So the solution is not either or it's either and. And so that's it. Like we got to we got to dig in and and fight against the the corruption and the police violence and all that stuff. But we also got to pay close attention and start building and creating in our own communities. Both of those, to me, are the way towards the solution. And again, that's why it's either and. Henceforth, the Either And Podcast with Brill Barrett. Get it? Get it? All right. All right. All right. Just to start letting you know how I process things and how I think, we're going to dig into some current events. And I think we can start with the Super Bowl just passed. Great, momentous occasion. Everybody was ready for it. And um, I remember I was geeked. I'm, I'm not a football man. I'm not a sports man. When everybody I knew was getting into sports when I was growing up, I was in arts. I was in the theater. I was learning all that stuff. So I can respect sports, but I'm not a sports fan or a sports person, right? But I was excited about this Super Bowl halftime show because look at the artists that they were. I mean, come on. I grew up on Dre. Like, this was a walk down hip-hop memory lane, and I thought that was a beautiful place to go. Plus, you've never seen a halftime show like this, like with hip-hop representing solely and fully as the main draw, the main ticket, the main thing. And so, man, I was geeked. And I, so I watched it. As a matter of fact, we had rehearsal. Mad Rhythms had company rehearsal, which some people wanted to cancel because they, they wanted me to cancel rehearsal for the Super Bowl. And I was like, what does what does that got to do with us? But in any event, after rehearsal, I went home and I immediately uh, went on YouTube and watched the halftime show. And I was excited. I, I found myself laughing. I found myself singing along with, of course, most of the songs. 
Dre got it in. Eminem got it in. Snoop was just Snoop. I was like, imagine seeing this guy at the halftime show. He out there crib walking. <laughs> He's blued out. He's representing fully on an NFL halftime show. So I thought that was cool. Uh, Eminem did his thing. 50 Cent could still hang upside down. So it, people was talking stuff about it. But I was like, look, I can't hang upside down. So I, I gave him props. Uh, Mary did her thing, tow it up. One of my favorite had to be Kendrick Lamar, however, and I know he represents sort of the new school, but Kendrick Lamar tore it up for me, you know, especially All Right was like the the, the anthem of the movement in 2020. So, you know, it, it was understandable, but just the whole, the whole approach was cool, but the whole show was hot. I enjoyed it. But of course, the next day, a lot of people were talking about well, what about this guy that's suing that's suing the NFL for for uh, race discrimination? Uh, the owner, I forget his name, I can't think of it right now. But for discrimination, I'm not paying no attention to the halftime show because I'm I'm still wanting to see what the the NFL does to fight this case. Like, what are they doing to pay attention to discrimination that's being leveled at them? And so, once again, my take on that situation: it's not either or; it's either and. Like. The Super Bowl or the NFL, I keep saying it, the Super Bowl. But the NFL, they made crazy steps by promoting hip-hop and letting those artists be who they are for a halftime show. That was a beautiful thing, and it was a much-needed thing. But they also need to be really focusing on solving their discrimination issue. When more than 80% of the players are black or brown, but then you got less than 2% of the owners are people of color. That's a problem, and it's something we got to pay attention to and we got to fix. And I know they got this thing called the Rooney Rule, and that's why they're getting sued. They have the Rooney Rule, which it says they have to at least interview people of color for ownership or, or head coaching jobs and positions. But this guy was two days out from his interview, and they had already filled the position, and he knows it because the the, the whoever that owner was that that texted him thought he was texting the guy that got the job, didn't know he was accidentally texting the guy who thought he was going to interview for the job. So that just made it look like it was a sham process. They already were hiring somebody, and this guy hadn't even been interviewed. So then why were they really interviewing him just to satisfy the Rooney Rule, which is what opens up the whole thing about discrimination. And and for me, yeah, it's it's the either end. They still got like the whatever Jay Z has been doing on the realm of entertainment involved with the NFL. He's got to keep doing. Like, I was reading a story about how he fought like hell to get Dre's that position and and those things. So to see those kind of things happening in the background on one side is beautiful, but now the other side has to catch up, and we got to see more ownership from people of color. We got to see more head coaching jobs go to people of color. For a long time, I remember the NFL barely hired any black quarterbacks and that was a thing inch by inch we cinch man but this this is both things have to be fought for continuously and at the same time so you know we'll, we'll keep moving all right so that i don't know that's the current event that i really wanted to get into there's there's others there's a lot of stuff going on but I want to kind of dig back into, again, this first episode of the Either And Podcast. I really want you to get to know me and who I am because I know that there is going to be people who listen to this who are not tap dancers, who are not in the tap dance sphere of things. And I might just float across and you might just click a link and now you're listening to me. So you'll understand a little bit more about me as a person. 
Um, so I will tell you, I, I alluded to this earlier in the podcast, but growing up on the west side of Chicago, that's where I grew up, born and raised on the west side of Chicago. And if you don't know Chicago, what's a good way you can know about the west side? Whenever you read about violent crimes in Chicago, they usually happen on the west side or the south side, specifically in the North Lawndale community on the west side, Inglewood on the south side. So I grew up in the North Lawndale community. So, of course, uh, a lot of the guys I grew up with ended up making some bad choices, ended up, you know, in that doing that drug thing or much less ended up victims of or perpetrators of gun violence. Like I grew up around all of that. But I had the benefit of my parents and even my grandmother specifically at that time was like, you're going to be busy. All my grandkids going to be busy. My grandmother always wanted to be in entertainment. She couldn't do it. Her life led her down a different path. So when she had a family and had children, she wanted to make it so that her children were. So she put them in music classes, dance classes, acting classes, all that stuff. None of them really pursued it as a career. So when her children had children, i.e. my generation, me and my cousins, my grandmother was like, oh, the grandchildren are going to be in entertainment. So she made sure that her children put her grandchildren into classes. And I know that's one of the big things. I grew up, there was a community center not far from the house. We used to walk and we spent every day that we were not in the house. If we were out of the house, we were at BBF, the Better Boys Foundation is what it was called then. It's now called Building Brighter Futures. But we were there. We were there. And and that's where I got exposed really heavily to theater and building community and using theater to build community. And we used to put on plays. And one of the cool things was, I remember I loved being in front of the camera, but they made us be behind the camera too. So like anything, or behind the scenes, I should say. So if you acted in one show, the next show, you had to be set design. The show after that, you had to be light design. You know, and I look, I respect carpenters because I don't like carpentry. I understand what it takes to build a set or to build anything for that matter. So I love that even being at that place taught me to have respect for the things that I don't do because it gave me a chance to do them and try them. And I was like, no, nah, that's not for me. But I understand when I'm in a position to produce or create anything. I want people that hold the same love for what they do the way I hold love for what I do. And for me, that's tap and, and things related to tap. And so when I do a show, I want a lighting designer who lives lights. I want a set designer who lives designing sets like that stuff. And that is how I've led my life and, and surrounded myself with people who are really, really connected to the things that they do. And whether I understand it or can do it or not, I have respect. And I think that's the least we can all do is have respect for people who do things, whether we like them or not, whether we do them or not, whether we want to do them or not, but have respect for people, whatever their craft or their job or their direction in life is, we got to at least respect that. And I feel like nowadays that's what's missing. Just a general respect. You come out the gate respect first. I think everything else starts to follow. So I gave you some insight into me growing up and it's why I started Mad Rhythms and even unofficially Mad Rhythms got started because I was just, I had come off tour and wanted to work with young people and kind of give them access to what I had been given access to. Like being exposed to the arts in general, but tap dance in particular is what helped me escape the negatives of my community. I started traveling. I started getting to see, you know, first traveling locally, then traveling nationally then traveling internationally. And the more 
I, I started to travel around the world, the more I got to see how other people lived and, and, and what was similar and what was different in other countries, the more I grew to appreciate the upbringing that I have, but also to criticize things that were wrong in my country, in my city, in my state. You know, and that's what got me paying attention to politics and things of that nature. So we'll get into that later on. But um, so starting Mad Rhythms was a labor of love. It was just a volunteer project. I wanted to work with young people and expose them. And I would when I first I remember doing shows and it would be like Brill Barrett. And then I would just bring these kids with me and I would bring them out on stage. And after a while, you know, they started to impress people. And then people would say, we want to book you. Can you bring those kids with you? So then it became a request. Then after a while. People were like, if you can't come, you, you can sit in the kids. And I was like, okay, okay. So that's kind of how organically how Mad Rhythms grew. And I started it out of my pocket. I did not know what I was doing. I was using money that I had saved from the tours and the projects that I did. And I will tell you, if you can help it, starting money, starting any business out of your pocket is not the way to go. You know, so now we've in this day and age, we've learned about investors and investing in sponsorships and all those things. I knew none of that. I just knew I wanted to do something. And so I took every opportunity and every resource that I had to do it. Right. So and a lot of people used to say you should start a nonprofit. You already working in the community. And my logic was, nope, I don't want to say start a nonprofit. I'm going to do a for profit because. I'm in this to make money. Like I wanted, my mindset was I want to be for profit. Little did I know that that has nothing to do with, with what being a non for profit is. So years and years of, of operating Matt rhythms as a for profit until finally through a lot of education and resources and talking and connecting with people. I understood that the nonprofit space, we were already doing all of the things involved with running a nonprofit especially with our degree of we were more as a professional dance company, we were actually doing more community work than professional work, like building youth programs. We've got generations of dancers in Chicago that have come up under the Mad Rhythms youth program format. So we were running in a for-profit status, but we were running in a non-for-profit mode, if that makes any sense to you all. Oh, the other thing is as a creative, and maybe you can attest to this, I don't like paperwork. I can't stand paperwork. Like if you put me in the studio and tell me to figure something out rhythmically, musically for hours, I, I'll, I'll go at it. I could teach for hours. I can perform. Well, I can't perform for hours, but I could perform through pain, through suffering. But sitting down to do paperwork, fill out applications, do this. I get frustrated. I got to get up and dance. And like so for years, I was working on our nonprofit status and I just would never finish. Then people would come into our lives as resources and say, oh, we can help you. And it, it never it never fleshed out. And I look at that now as maybe showing me that I was supposed to do it because I needed this process to happen and I needed to understand what it took to make it happen. And so a lot of things we look at, you know, they say hindsight is 2020. There's good reasons behind that. And then nonprofit is still not tax exempt. So that was a whole nother process. So maybe one day I'll do some podcast talking strictly about that process but becoming nonprofit was one part of the process. Becoming tax exempt was the other part that made us a 501c3. But then now registering as a charity, now getting your board of directors, not like that's a whole nother world that I didn't, I wasn't ready for. But I'm glad that I had to experience going through that growth process, recording the minutes for the meetings. We had meetings. Nobody wrote stuff down. We just talked. 
Now it's all got to be recorded. Now the board of directors, we got to meet annually. We got to meet. Da, da, da. So like all of these different things that go into a nonprofit, I had to learn. And I learned on the fly and I learned, uh, fortunately, again, I had people that were willing to say, hey, we can help you out with that. We had a law firm we work with on some of the, of course, the more strenuating legal things that have to be involved in a nonprofit. But a lot of it is just, it boils down to doing what I do and loving what I do, which is working with my community and trying to create alternatives to the negative situations that exist for a lot of young black and brown people. And I'll keep repeating that. You'll hear that time and time again throughout this podcast, because that is, and here's another either and context for you. You can be a professional and you can also work in your community to make a difference. There's no reason you have to be either or. So I love being and representing both of those scenarios. Matt Rhythms is known for our professional quality, our level of excellence in terms of the tap dance world. But we're also known just as much for the work that we do in the community, literally making a difference, dancing rhythms. That's what it means. When uh, Martin Trey Dumas III and I came up with the title, that was also the play on words like mad rhythms means like it's a play on 90s hip hop slang. You know, I got mad rhythm, son. What you got, son? I got mad this. I got mad dollars. That's the way everybody talked in, in early 90s hip hop, which I'm a child of. But at the same time. It means making a difference, dancing rhythms, because from the consumption, from 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 the beginning, we wanted to make sure that in the title was the mission statement of making a difference and staying connected with our community. So you will never not see Matt Rhythms involved in community work here in Chicago and even duplicating it in other places. Um, I love that members of the company have moved on to different places Nora Clark is in, in Georgia with Tap That Brass, and she's been building community programs. Victoria Jones is is in Las Vegas, and she started uh, Los, uh, Mad Rhythms Las Vegas, and she's been building community programs. So I love that the model and the model that we created is now being utilized and 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 people are doing it in other places. Lisa Latouche is up in Canada. When we started Mad Rhythms Canada a long time ago, it was so that they could have the same type of resources and, and and things that I now have learned how to create and we duplicate it in other places because the, the bottom line is you can't complain if you're not doing anything to solve the situation or to change the situation in any kind of way. So for me, Mad Rhythms will always be about that and that first. Um, so let's see. Uh, I talked about wanting to start Matt Rhythms, and and this is why you have what you have now. Uh, my major influences are so there's two major influences that come to mind, and these are not even specific. Well, they're tap dance related, but they're not like I have people I look up to that are legendary tap dancers. But in this space of working with young people and building community, before I started Matt Rhythms, there was a group out of St. Louis. Uh, ran by Professor Robert L. Reed called the St. Louis Hoofers Club. And at the same time, there was a group in Flint, Michigan called the Flintstone Hoofers. And these were both two groups that I encountered through my, my, my travels as a teacher at different tap festivals. These directors would bring these groups of young people to these places. And I was always amazed at these groups of, of young black children tap dancing. And I mean, large groups. And so when I started Mad Rhythms, literally the Flintstone Hoofers and the St. Louis Hoofers Club were the two groups I had seen 
of famous tap dancers or tap dance organizations that catered toward building tap within young people. And these kids could perform. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to go back to Chicago and create that. So I'll always give shouts out. Uh, two years ago, I was honored uh, by Tapology, which is the group that the Flintstone hoofers are, came out of. And that was like a full circle moment for me. Um, and then Professor Robert L. Reed, may he rest in power, when he was here, he became one of my mentors. So from trying to copy these people and, 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 and well, not copy, let's not say copy, trying to uh, use their inspiration for starting my own thing, I've always stayed connected to them. And so even talking with Bruce Bradley, who, who founded uh, Tapology in Flint, and, and having him say, you know, I'm proud of you. You've been doing the work. That means a lot to me. So I've tapped and performed all over the country, all over the world. But the work I'm most proud of and that I probably brag about the most is the work that we do with the community here of building the next generation and generations, plural, of tap dancers. My performance experience has led me, and I think that's one of the reasons I love, like I want to give young people the opportunity to see the world. Most of the people that grew up on the west side of Chicago with me, North Lawndale community, they didn't do things outside of their block or they didn't do things outside of, you know, school was down the street. There was a corner store for what could be groceries. We won't even get into food deserts, not this episode. And then they played on the block. So tap dance immediately opened me up to the world. And I want, you know, and I want that. I remember Carlton Smith, who was one of my tap teachers, he was at BBF when I was a kid, and then he moved to the, uh, what was the name of that place? The Hull House, which was up north. And I remember my mom, we got on the train and went to those classes. And so for for her and for me, it was just about going where the teacher went. But I also, I look back now and I know, well, that got me out of the neighborhood. It got me to see other neighborhoods. And so I was just comfortable. I was comfortable in my neighborhood. I was comfortable in other neighborhoods, which sometimes a lot of our babies are not. So that's also one of the things I like to change and constantly work at changing, you know, being a tap dancer and those different things in the community. Um, but not, you know, not really to go into my own resume a lot, but just so you understand, I've been doing this. I've been in this game. Matt Rhythms is 21 years old as a company, and I've been in this game for I started tap dancing when I was four. I used to say five, but my mom's mama rhythms as everybody calls her. She corrects me all the time, saying, No, I'll put you in class when you were four. So I've been in this game for 42 years as a tap dancer. I toured with Riverdance. That was a great experience. I toured with the tap dance kid. That was a great experience. Like I had these opportunities to really do. I was a part of uh, Derek Grant's Imagine Tap and Aaron Tolson, that whole deal. Um, and so I've done things. Uh, I've been on the Oprah Winfrey show when she had it. I was on the Jenny Jones show. Like I've, I've done a lot of things, but none of it compares to the work that I do and love doing in my community. And Matt Rhythms has been like the crux of my my purpose for quite a long time. As a matter of fact, for a while, I only focused on my rhythms. I stopped focusing on myself. So that's why like recently being uh, cast on Fox television's The Big Leap was a crazy experience for me, but it also came at the time because of the connections that I'd nurtured through my work in the community. And so I love knowing that people were like, we know the perfect person, 
and even when when I when I connected with uh, the the head choreographer, he told him, Christopher Scott. He told me, "Yeah, I've, I'm familiar with you and the work that you do." So that right there let me know that my life being in service to my community, every now and then, you know, fate will kick you back. Some the creator will say, "Hey, we'll let you. You know, we'll make something else happen for you." And so being cast on the big leap just this past year was crazy because I wasn't looking to, I had pretty much given up on my dreams of being like an actor, which was some of the things that I was in love with early on in my career. I pretty much given up on dreams of being an actor and I got cast as a tap dancer on the big leap, but eventually they gave me a line. And then the next episode, they gave me four lines. So like, it was like this thing where I was like, starting to rediscover my love of acting and yeah so I got registered with some agents all over again I got new headshots done and I'm like yeah that's right it's never too late to live your dream so I'm living proof that being cast as a matter of fact I'll tell you a funny story I I was registering uh on IMDB which is where all the actors are listed and all their stuff and uh when I when I when I updated all my stuff with my new pictures and all of that IMDb was like, are you sure <laughs> that you're Brill Barrett? And I'm like, why is the site questioning me? And they said, well, because the last entry for your name was 20 years ago. <laughs> and we want to make sure that this is the same Brill Barrett so we don't confuse two different people. So I had to like, like confirm that, yeah, it's me. And I haven't done anything on TV or dealing with acting in over 20 years. And here I am back in it. And that just goes to show when you truly, when you truly, 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 truly follow a life filled with love and passion for the things that you do, that you will find your way into it and even find your way back to it if you get away from it. So I just thought that was a funny story. Um, one of the other things that helped shape the kind of person I am now has been traveling. Uh, I remember going to other cities and going to other parts of, of the country of this country, that was, you know, like new Orleans for a kid from Chicago was, you know, crazy going to LA and, 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 and gigging in Florida and, and those things, those were like crazy experiences, but it wasn't until like, I remember the first time I went to Canada, as a matter of fact, when I got in river dance, they were launching the third tour and it was in Canada. So that was my first time going to Canada and I didn't know anything about Canada other than back in the slave times. That's where a lot of folks traveling to escape slavery came from the American South through the North up to Canada. So that was like the promised land. So that was my experience. So I remember going to Canada and be like, it's just, it's no different. It's just like America. And then I like, well, it is America. And I'm like, well, no, it's not. They're like, yeah, it's North America. And I'm like, you know what? We never we never learn things, I think, in America in terms of how we're connected worldwide to things. Um, I remember when I was on the international tour of Riverdance and the first stop on the international tour when I joined was Germany. And I was terrified because I knew nothing of Germany other than what we know about Germany historically. So I'm thinking Hitler, Nazis, Germany, black man. Nope not wanting to be there. So I remember the day we flew into uh, Germany, we flew into Berlin. As a matter of fact, we flew into Berlin of all places. It was on Hitler's birthday. And of course, not knowing anything about Germany, I was like, nah, everybody was, you know, all the crew from the show 
We're talking about going out when they got there and, you know, having a good time. I was like, nope, I will be in my room. There's no way I'm getting caught out at night in Germany on Hitler's birthday. Fast forward a few days later, rehearsals, the show, the show goes up. Germany is like the new, I mean, uh, uh, Berlin is like the New York of Germany. I had the best time in Berlin. I met all kind of people. I connected with people. Like I fell in love with Berlin. And again, that just goes to show if you don't go to a place, all you know is the stereotype of that place. And of course, we as as a black man from America, I understand wholeheartedly about stereotypes and about being perceived to be one thing. People are always, oh, I didn't know you were a dancer. You a dancer? Oh, you don't look like a dancer. And I always say, well, what does a dancer look like? Because a lot of people's idea of a dancer is one, a ballet dancer. So they don't even consider jazz or modern or tap or hip hop or African. That's not even in the consideration of the perception. So whatever the standard is for ballet is the standard that people look to for all other dance forms, even the ones that predate ballet, which is a whole nother conversation that we can get into on a later podcast. Um, But yeah, so dealing with perceptions and dealing with uh, stereotypes and dealing with things that people may say, those are, that's the, that's the kind of, uh, those are the kind of things that, that I've always paid attention to. And so again, when I started traveling, I remember going to Turkey, going to Istanbul. And one of the first things someone said was, uh, and this is a kid, we're walking through the airport and in Istanbul, it was a small airport. So you walk on the tarmac to the you know, it's not like where you get off and then you walk through the gate and you're inside the airport. So you're outside walking. And then when I walked up, there's people selling, uh, there's little kids selling stuff because they're trying to, you know, they think travelers coming in got money in Istanbul was, isn't, isn't the riches of, of, of places. So I remember some kid in broken English said to me, cause I used to rock one pants leg up. Cause what? I'm a child of the nineties hip hop era. And LL Cool J was definitely one of one of the people I, I looked up to and wanted to be like. And so I always rock one pants leg up on my jogging suits. Uh, to this to this day, I still kind of do it. But one of the kids was like LL Cool J, <laughs> and I cracked up because I was like, "Oh man, these kids think I'm LL Cool J." And so that was an experience I never had. And then I remember uh, we were invited to Turkey, the group that we went with. Um, by the the Turkish uh, artistic ministry or something like that, the Ministry of Arts and Culture. And so it was crazy in Turkey, walking down the street, I did not see a lot of other black people. But when people looked at me, it was a different kind of energy than when people who weren't black stared at me in America. And if you're black, you understand what that means. And if you're not, or you've been different in any kind of place, you can understand what that means. So for the first time, when I started traveling internationally, being a black man from the U.S. was a plus before I opened my mouth or before I danced. And that's something I think almost no black people here in in this country know what that feels like, because we're often judged and we're often stared at and we're often looked at like, you know, there's these perceptions that exist when when we enter a space before we've gotten to fully be in the space. People are already reacting to us entering the space. And so I just say that to say I endorse traveling uh, not too long ago. Uh, matter of fact, right before the pandemic, Mad Rhythms, with the help of our partners here at the Hair Washington Culture Center, 
got together and we took a bunch of kids over to uh, England for the, or to the UK for the UK Tap Festival and watching those kids get passports and, and, and all that stuff made me feel really just good and happy because that was a situation that I got to experience as an adult, but I wonder what would have happened had I experienced it as a child, like how much more beneficial would that have been to me? So that's it. Trying to do those things and, and make those things happen for young people in a way that now they, they're going to do better than I did. They're going to have a better time, better opportunities, understand things better than I did. And I understood things pretty good. So yeah, that's kind of, I don't know. That's, that's kind of the stuff I wanted to talk about in this first podcast. I want you to meet me. I want you to hear who I am, why I am. Um, talk a lot about the things like I've been teaching and for a long time. And I think we don't do it for the recognition, but it's pretty cool. Like I had a Ted talk. Well, it was a, it was a TEDx talk. So, you know, people in the diehard Ted talk world will say that TEDx is like the, the little sibling. And if you do well there, you get a TEDx talk, a real TEDx talk. But I was honored to be invited and honored to be a part of the TEDx family and, and, and to be able to do a TEDx talk. So that was cool for me. Uh, 2016, I was voted one of one of the Chicagoans of the year by the Chicago Tribune. That was pretty cool. I, I enjoyed that experience and, and meeting and connecting with the other people, but also loving that the recognition came not really on the heels of me as a performer or an entertainer, but me as, as a community based person, me as a, as a, as an entity that has served my community and continues to serve my community for long periods of time. Just now, new city named me one of, and this was for the 2021 year, named me one, I mean, 2022, because that's where we are now, uh, named me one of the Chicagoans that move Chicago. Like, and so I'm always honored and elated. And sometimes I forget that these things have even been bestowed upon me because it doesn't change who I am or how I connect with the work that I'm here to do. And nothing will change how I connect with the work that I'm here to do. Either and, this is my podcast, this is my space where I would love to invite you all in so that you learn a little bit more about me and we start to engage and have some dialogue about what it takes to maybe connect better with each other, foster more respect for each other, but also problem solve together. Because I think nothing starts without the dialogue. Um, if you know anything about Mad Rhythms, again, it is a started by me, a black man from the west side of Chicago. It is a predominantly black company, but we are ethnically diverse and racially diverse. And we are diverse amongst a lot of different scenarios that you might not think of. And so within our own entity, we have the hard conversations on a day-to-day -day basis. We have many, many non-black members of, of Mad Rhythms. We have uh, different age ranges and age groups. So we're diverse in that way too. Like we've got generations of dancers. I'm in a company <laughs> with the dancers that I taught, but now also the dancers that the dancers that I taught taught. So like generationally speaking as a tap dancer, I'm in a company with my grandkids, if that makes any sense. You know what I mean? But I think that also engages 
healthy dialogue. And I think that also gives us a very good metronome, so to speak, for working through those issues. Because again, within our own house, we represent a vast variety of people and ideas and just everything. And I think that's how the real real world should be. And that's how we work at making the real world reflect that. But it also starts with knowing your history. And so we spend a lot of time talking history. And when things have been presented wrong or, or outright lied about in terms of history, in terms of the history of tap dance, which we'll get into that as well uh, in some later podcasts, then those things are things that have to be corrected because we can no longer let lies live. That was my motto for 2020, not even knowing what 2020 was going to turn into for the world. So as I, as I begin to uh, sign off or start my sign off process for this podcast, I just want you all to know that I'm a talker. I love talking. I'm also a thinker and I love talking about what I'm thinking about. And I think those things together will make for an interesting podcast and something you might want to tune into time and time again. There's no limits to where we can go, which is why I know a lot of tap podcasts or or podcasts created by tap dancers. They've got titles that reflect their focus on tap dance. But I really wanted to. I'm a tap dancer, and I think anybody who knows me knows that. But a lot of people don't know those other thoughts that permeate my mind or my space or my soul or my energy. And so this is the opportunity for me to share those parts of me with you and invite you to share those parts of you back with me in return. And that starts the dialogue and therefore we start to problem solve together. So I've had a good time here, y'all. I've enjoyed talking with you. Yes, I'm from Chicago and we say y'all, and I know people from the South get it. And then people from other places be like, y'all country. We can even talk about that in a later podcast, but you know, knowing history, you would know that that's a direct connection of our ancestors that came up from the South and ended up here in the North through the Great Migration. So yeah, all of us a bit country, yeah? So with that being said, my name is Brill Barrett. I am the host of this very new podcast called Either And, the Either And Podcast. And I hope that you will embark on this journey with me and that we will have the opportunity to get to know each other, yeah? As we share this space, we share this time, I will end it with something we say in the tap dance community all the time, which is respect the dance. And that's our connection to the ancestors and the history and knowing whose shoulders we stand, whose shoulders we dance upon when we do what we do. Well, I'm calling on those ancestors and I'm standing on those very shoulders as I embark on this podcast and into this space. I want to end it with you all. And so I know this is a bit weird. And I can't see you, but you're going to put your hand up. And on the count of three, we're going to say respect the dance. And that's how we're going to take this out of here, right? On the count of three. One, two, three. Respect the dance. It's been a great one, you all. See you on the next episode of the Either and Podcast.